Ozone. Welcome to the Ozone Podcast, presented by ViStar Credit Union, with Jaguar's senior writer, John Osher. All right, and welcome to this week's Ozone Podcast, presented by ViStar. This week's guest, I think Jaguars fans are becoming familiar with her. She talked to us a lot over the years about Tom Coughlin. Uh, she was in town this week for the NFL Draft. Uh, somebody I've gotten to know better over the years. We've known each other a long time. I couldn't respect anybody's knowledge of the NFL more than I respect NFL.com columnist, NFL media analyst, NFL media extraordinaire, I guess, Judy Batista. Thank you, Judy, for joining us. And uh, I guess, first of all, you were in Jacksonville this last weekend. Just give me your overall impressions. We'll dig deep into a lot of the things you wrote. But tell me about your time in Jacksonville throughout the draft. What were your impressions? Well, first of all, thanks for that very nice introduction. (laughs) It's great to see you again. Um, Well, my impression, first of all, is uh, how much optimism and energy there was uh, last week. Um, You know, you really feel like something new is happening. Now, certainly any team that is getting a player like Trevor Lawrence would feel that way. You'd be excited. But you just felt this sort of whole sea change around the franchise. I mean, I spent a few minutes talking to the owner shot con and i mean the word that popped into my head after talking to him was giddy i mm-hmm. mean he was so excited um you just really felt a you know a lot of new energy there there's a lot of topics because you talk to a lot of people and i know you as a reporter when you talk to a lot of people you gain a lot of of knowledge when you talk to them tell me about your impressions with shod and i dig a little deeper on his giddiness what overall is he most excited about? I think he's excited about um, not just Trevor Lawrence, the person, and not just Urban Meyer, the person, but he called this a transformational moment for the franchise. I think he just feels good about the direction they're going in, refreshed about um, the, you know, the state of the franchise and the future of the franchise. Um, he's obviously very excited about Trevor, but I he... The way he put it to me was uh, he felt like he didn't just have the first overall draft pick in the draft, but he also had the first overall pick of head coaches. Um, He's not surprisingly very high on Urban Meyer and on all the things Urban wants to do um, to sort of modernize the franchise. He, you know, he was uh, shot was pretty candid about, you know, you can have the same principles about winning and, and competing, but you've got to have 21st century practices. You can't have, you can't think that the game is being played and that athletes are being handled the way they were in the 20th century and expect to succeed in the 21st century. That's just not how it goes anymore. Um, And so I I think he feels quite good about the direction that Urban Meyer is going to take the franchise. in. I mean, you know, you know this, but I mean, Urban has his hands on everything and he's been given really carte blanche to reshape the franchise, you know, top down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talked to Urban quite a bit about that. Like, you know, you, we always use the term culture change. How, how do you change the culture of a franchise um, when you can't even get on the field for five months? I mean, what do you do in the meantime? Obviously, the best culture change is to win games, but what do you do in the meantime to get to that point? And so I talked to Urban for quite a while about that. And I guess the follow-up, what did he say? What were some of the high points uh, that he thinks he can get changed? 
Well, he really emphasized, he thinks the biggest change they've already made is to sports performance. And that's really, you know, like a catch-all term for how you take care of players, how you treat players. He really emphasizes, like, things should be, you should have the best of the best for the players. Like, this should be a franchise built around supporting the players and doing everything you can to maximize the players which is not just good for the team it's good for the players mm-hmm. right and and that means everything from you know nutrition uh treatment facilities right recovery facilities um you know personalized attention to their diets personalized attention to their weightlifting regimen just everything geared to getting the most out of players and of course players like that they want their bodies to be taken care of and that maximizes their career and obviously their earnings that go along with it and certainly it has benefits for the team right i mean if players are performing at their peak that's that's good for the team generally so he really has emphasized that and he said he's he's been interested in that since he was a receivers coach at colorado state like he used to send his receivers to go run track on the theory that the track coaches know how to teach speed. He didn't know how to teach speed, but they knew how to teach speed. So he's always been sort of interested in that. And, um, but he said, you know, it's hard to do it at college. He, they did it at Ohio state because they have obviously have big resources at Ohio state. He says most college programs, you know, don't have those kinds of resources. Obviously NFL teams have those kinds of resources and you should be using them. Right. I mean, his feeling is, you know, the modern athlete, he, as he put it is, it's like a high performance sports car mm-hmm. and you have to maintain it like a high performance sports car car or just like a sports car it will break down you do not want players breaking down and he said he was really inspired by you know he would talk to his old players from Florida and Ohio State who would go into the NFL and then their careers would end kind of prematurely and he would ask them you know what the heck happened like you know i know you've got gas left in the tank and they would tell him you know, they don't take care of your bodies in the NFL. And so that's always been in his head that, you know, you got to take care of these guys. And he wants, you know, if guys want dry needling and acupuncture and plunge pools, then that's what they should have. The Jaguars should be supplying that. Right. You know, you shouldn't have to go outside to find somebody to do dry needling. Why wouldn't the franchise provide that? So that was a big point of emphasis for him, and I think it's going to be a huge point of emphasis going forward for the franchise. And you obviously cover the entire league half for years. It sounds like you locked on to that as something that's a little different. Not every coach, not every team you talk to takes it to this extreme. Yeah, I think I think you're seeing more and more teams do it because I think, um, I think as you get the next generation of coaches, they mm-hmm. recognize that this is – you know, this is the way you've got to take care of professional athletes. I mean, it it does you no good to have guys, you know, with hamstring pulls all the time. That's just useless for everybody. It's not good for the player, and it's certainly not good for the team's performance. Um, so I, I think it's becoming more widespread. But look, I mean, let's be honest. Franchises, we all think of the NFL as one entity, but it's not. It's 32 entities. And so they're all run a little bit differently and they all commit their resources a little bit differently. And some teams are more all in on facilities um, than others. And uh, I think it's probably good, you know, it's good news for the Jaguars. Mm -hmm. Um, He wants to build a, you know, a football facility that that will be more state of the art than what you have right now. And, and I think that's, that's good for everybody. Had you ever dealt with Urban before? Was it your first time meeting? Never. Believe uh, it or not, never. This was the first time I'd ever met him. We've all been struck by how candid 
he's been yes. and how forthcoming <laughs> he's been. Uh, yes. I, I guess it's not particularly surprising when somebody nationally comes in, coaches often talk to you guys in more detail than they do locally sometimes. But mm-hmm. overall, were you struck by his uh, candidness and just his willing to yeah. sort of share what's going on? Yeah, I've actually been struck by, I've communicated that with uh, Amy Palsik from PR. Um, I've been struck by his candidness really the entire offseason because he's often said things like, you know, he doesn't understand or he didn't understand the salary cap and roster management in the NFL. And he had to study that, right? I mean, he literally has never had to deal with that. Um, and, and, and I, I, you know, I've been struck by his willingness to admit that he doesn't what he doesn't know. Right. Um, and then I, I was laughing. Remember after free agency when he was complaining about like, you know, they couldn't meet with the guys like we're signing people we've never met. Right. You know, like I thought that was it was hilarious, but it was accurate. And um, so, yeah, I think he's he's been quite candid. Um, and certainly in, when I had conversations with him when I was down there, he was, you know, he was pretty open about like what he doesn't know. Um He's obviously got a great deal of confidence born of his success at the college Mm -hmm. level. You know, he feels very strongly about his recruiting efforts and how they were able to identify players. And he really feels like, you know, his job is to maximize players, to get the best out of people. Um, But, you know, there's one comment um, which I put in the story that he said to me is like, you know, he gets a lot of people saying like, oh, welcome to big boy football. And he's like, yeah, I get it. Like, I know it's hard. I get it. Um, But I asked him about like, you know, look, the the NFL is sort of littered with college coaches who made the jump to the NFL and did not succeed. Right. I mean, even the best, you know, Nick Saban struggled in the NFL. And, you know, why why do you think you're going to be different? And he shot back and said, well, you know, a lot of NFL coaches don't succeed in the NFL, too. So (laughs) it's. You know, he, he's um, he's very confident, but I think he's he's been quite open about like, you know, he knows what he doesn't know. I've always thought when somebody's willing to say what they don't know, it expresses a confidence. You know, it doesn't bother them to say, I've got to learn. A lot of coaches wouldn't say that. They don't have the confidence to say, I don't know this. When he's saying that he's going to learn it, he absolutely believes he's going to learn it and do well at it once he learns it. So he right. has no problem saying it. So uh, right. it's. It's been fascinating to watch. Tell me about your impressions on Friday. I assume that was your first time being around Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I I, I was really impressed. This is just a snapshot of, um, you know, when they pulled up in the SUV and Shad Khan, you know, opens the door and embraces him. And, you know, there was that class full of third graders there with signs and chanting his name and everything. And he went right over to the kids and talked to them, right? There was... He wasn't talking to the adults. He waded right in there and so did his wife. And he was a- answering questions and they asked him about his hair and how many games are you going to win? And and he handled that all so well and so um, maturely and gracefully. And I was really struck by that because, you know, I know earlier in the week, like Urban had said, they don't want to put too much on his plate. I mean, obviously, when you are the franchise quarterback of a team that has been searching for a franchise quarterback for years and years and years, you know, the the instinct of everybody is, you know, you want a piece of them, right? Like, I'm sure the season ticket, the people who are selling season tickets would love to be in contact with Trevor sure. Lawrence. And Urban Meyer said something about like, his job is not to be on billboards and selling season tickets, like his job, he's got to get in there and meet his teammates and learn the playbook and get to work. 
on the football stuff and you don't want to overload him. But I, my impression just from that day was like, you know, I think this kid can handle it. Like, I don't think it's going to be too big for him. And I, I'd, I'd be surprised if he gets overwhelmed by, you know, what it means to be the franchise quarterback. You've been around obviously a lot of franchise quarterbacks or I'm sure over the years interviewed most of the franchise quarterbacks. They've been in the, they've been in the league. I was around Peyton for 10 years. Right. Uh, and I don't want to draw too many comparisons to Peyton, but there is something about Trevor, the way Peyton came into the league, so prepared and so sort of over his feet, if you will. Like mm-hmm. he knew what to expect. There's a little bit of an element there. Um, is there anybody else that uh, that uh, Trevor sort of reminds you of in terms of, boy, this kid really seems like he's been groomed for this since day one. I, I don't even want to say groomed, but, it feels with some of them like they're put on this earth to be in this situation. There is. Peyton is obviously the the best example because sure. he was groomed for it. But, I, you know, Andrew Luck had that quality, too. He was not, you know, he really felt like he could handle anything and was not going to be overwhelmed. Certainly Drew Brees, who was not the first overall draft pick. But, I mean, again, just sort of had that bearing and mm-hmm. that presence around people um, that reminds you, uh, you know, of, of Trevor. I you know, I, again, I think the instinct is you, everybody's going to want a piece of him. And I think the Jaguars are going to, I think they recognize that and that they know that they sort of are going to have to protect him a little bit from all of that. But whenever all of that comes, I, I think he'll be able to handle it. And partly because let's face it, we've all been waiting in the NFL for Trevor Lawrence for three years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was clear, right his first year in school that this sure. guy is the guy and it, he's going to be the, I mean, unless something catastrophic happened, he was going to be the number one pick. So it's been, you know, it's been three years of him at a very high profile program that got a lot of national attention that plays a lot of big games, but you know, we've all known and he's known right. and his coaches have known that they had to get him ready. So I, I think that probably has served him well. He's not, a supernova, like, you know, like Zach Wilson, who the Jets took second, he's not that who all of a sudden just sure. rocketed up, you know, in his final year in school. I mean, Trevor Lawrence has been getting ready for this for a few years. Yeah. And it, in terms of that, I'm not sure there's a comparison that I remember other than Peyton in terms of for years, right. everybody knew Peyton was going to be one or two. I would make the argument that uh, Trevor might be the biggest star to enter the league in terms of everybody knowing him from college. Since Peyton, I'm I'm not sure. Even Luck, I don't know that he was as big a star. Every everybody, all of us knew he was going to be good. People who followed the NFL, but 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 playing at Stanford, he wasn't quite a star the way this kid is. It's a fascinating case study to watch, and the fact that he came to this market, came to this town, uh, it's it's an amazing thing to watch and see what the effect will be. In your experience, and this is sort of an obvious question, but the franchise guy. Um, what do the successful teams mean? The teams that have a franchise guy. What do they do right around him? Does that make sense? <laughs> What's the key yeah. to making that work? Because he's important, but there has to be other things as well. Well, number one is they they do everything around him, right? I right. mean, the the whole franchise is is geared around him to making him successful. Um, and and that's why again, Urban said something last week. One of the post, one of the press conferences at the end of the day said, like you know, over the last few weeks they've been thinking, how do you get a guy successful? 
And that's how they have to think in every part of the franchise, right? What do you have to do to give this guy the best chance right. of success, right? What do you have to put around him? Because, listen, I, I, I live and work in New York, and, I mean, I've seen this happen with the Jets and even the Giants recently where they may have had a guy that they felt really good at, about a quarterback, but they didn't have anything around him. Now, the Giants have rectified that this offseason. Mm-hmm. They have put a lot around Daniel Jones, which is good because they had nothing around Daniel Jones. <laughs> so who knows what Daniel – like – how can you even tell what he is? And that that's what happened at Sam Darnold, unfortunately, right? I mean, they had him and they felt really great about him. But they had nothing around him. And so, you know, he has no chance to succeed. The best quarterback in the world can't succeed if there's no offensive line, if there's no weapons, right. if the defense is so terrible that you got to score 50 points a game. Like, it's a team and you got to put pieces around him. And so I... You know, the fact that they're already thinking about, like, what do you do to make him comfortable? What do you do to give him the best chance of success right away? Which is why I thought drafting Travis was fine. Mm -hmm. I know everybody said, like, well, wait a minute, they don't need a, you know, running back was one of the few things that there's not a hole at. I get that. But, you know, he's a slash. He can catch the ball. And there's a familiarity there. And the idea is to do everything you can to make Trevor Lawrence comfortable right out of the gate and to give him the best chance of success right out of the gate, which is why trying to find a pass catching tight end is still important. No doubt. No doubt. (laughs) Right. Three final questions. What's the league going to look like next year, Judy? It was a weird league this year, even though they got the games in, you know, I know it's a broad question, but is it going to feel back to normal? How do you see this playing out? Or do you know yet? I think it's going to be a lot closer to normal. Um, certainly they want to get fans back uh, in the stadiums as many as they possibly can safely for, uh, for many reasons. Revenue is obviously a big one, but I, I think everybody admits that even though they played the games last year um, on schedule, which was an incredible feat sure. that they got the schedule in. Um, but you know, something was missing without fans, without packed stadiums. So I, think they want to do that a lot of that frankly is on all of us like mm-hmm. get vaccinated that right. is a big component of this like for people to get you know that's going to be up to local officials to say you can have full stadiums and a big part of that is they need to see the uh the vaccination rate go up and the you know infection rate go down so mm-hmm. it's really important um they've got four months to get there um so i think it'll look much more like a normal season. I don't know if, you know, in September, if every stadium will be allowed to be at capacity. Who knows? For sure. But, I, you know, it's going to get much, much closer than anything we saw last year. Aside from that, I, I always like to ask you about league issues because you follow it and you always mm-hmm. express them very well. What story or stories or trends interest you the most right now in the league? What fascinates you? Well, I'm interested to see the impact of the 17th regular season game. I'm sort of curious to see how teams manage that, um, how players manage it. It's, you know, they're getting rid of a preseason game, but, um, you know, you've seen some coaches, do they do they try to give guys more rest so that, right. you know, maybe save a few snaps here and there so that they're not um, enduring, you know, more wear and tear by the time you get to that 17th regular season game. So I'm, I'm curious, sort of big picture, how that looks um, and and if it changes anything at all or if everybody just ad- adapts to it and it's fine. I'm I'm interested to see right now in the offseason if players don't go to OTAs. Sure. Um, you know, that's a 
I know this is the off season and so fans are not really paying attention, but it's kind of an interesting thing um, if if players stay away, uh, especially at places like Jacksonville, which mm-hmm. has a, an entirely new coach and, in a, you know, and a rookie quarterback. Like, are, are people really going to stay away from OTAs? Um, and what does that mean? Like, if players don't go to OTAs this year, do, do we just say goodbye to OTAs forever? Like, are they ever coming back? Um you know, the, that's that's what I, last year was such a weird season and so much flexibility was required that I I'm looking to see, like, do we just go back to what football was like? You know, is everything going to snap back to normal this year? Yeah, it feels like it can't. I mean, I, I, I in the long run, I'm with you. The OTA question fascinates me because, I, yes. I you know, it just feels like not every player should be not near the game until August, you know, and right. uh, not every situation is that okay. I think there are some situations where, where it is okay. When I was with the Colts, for example, when they had it going, except for Peyton being there in OTAs, I was thinking, are these guys really getting that much out of it? But that was right. a high functioning, they'd been around it for six or seven years. For teams right. that haven't, it, it's hard to make an argument you don't gain something from being here in May and June. I, I'm not... Yeah. I'm just not sure where the line is. I'm not sure how how to solve it. Yeah, that. I look. I think I I agree with you. I think a lot of veteran players don't need to be there. You know, uh, at, at most teams, like I, I I don't know that they're really getting much out of it. But um, look, you know, the Giants had a new head coach last year, and because of the pandemic, because there were no OTAs, like he literally met his players for the first time. Yeah, when training camp opened, right? I mean, that's hard. Right. Like, I'm not sure Vince Lombardi can succeed under those conditions. So that's hard. You you can't get together. You know, I know that quarterbacks and Tom Brady will get his guys together and they'll go to a high school and throw. And I suspect, you know, if there's no OTAs, Trevor Lawrence will probably do the same thing. Like, that's what franchise quarterbacks do. Uh, Final question. How long does this take in Jacksonville? Well, I think they'll be improved this year. I, You know, I don't think they're a one win team anymore. They've got much more talent. um, And I you know, and I think the coaching will be top notch. Um, you know, I, I think it's there's a, there's the opportunity for a fairly quick turnaround when you have as much draft capital as they had and as much salary cap um, to use as they had. I I think there's a chance for a fairly good turnaround, and because of the flux in the division, um, you know, we have no idea what the Houston Texans are going to be. Let's be honest. Um, the Colts are a very good team, but they have a new starting quarterback again. Um, and the Tennessee Titans, um, you know, fell off a little bit last year. So because of the flux, there's there's room to maneuver there. That doesn't mean I think the Jaguars are going to win the division this year. I, you know, that's probably too soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's just enough uncertainty in that division that you could um, imagine them, you know, having a pretty quick bounce back. And maybe it takes only, you know, two years or so to, to get in there. I could talk football with Judy Batista all day. It, it's always fascinating. I won't force her to do that because I'm not as interesting <laughs> as she is. But, uh, Judy, as always, thank you for joining us on Jaguars.com. Our fans always enjoy hear, hearing from you. I look forward to seeing you down the road very soon. I absolutely enjoyed it, and I hope to see you at training camp. Yeah.